The overwhelming majority of family pets in the United States are dogs and cats, but they are not the only animals that families across this country keep in their homes. Today we will hear from two veterinary professionals who have dedicated their careers to the health care of exotic pets. They explain to us why it is so hard to find a veterinarian to treat pets from hamsters to hedgehogs and meerkats to macaws. Get ready to learn all that and more on the Family Pet Podcast. Welcome into this week's episode of the Family Pet Podcast, the podcast for curious pet parents, where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. I'm your host, Michael Shirley, joined by my brother, Stephen. Stephen, welcome in. Welcome in. I'm the one in the studio. You're the one calling in from your car. <laughs> That's right. I'm I'm sitting in my car on the uh, overlooking the Smoky Mountains in uh, East Tennessee. We did a little spontaneous family trip this week. And uh, yeah, so my view is probably better than your view in the studio. Not that producer Trent's not a great person to look at, but my, my mountain views here are probably a little bit nicer. I've actually, you, you can't tell, I've actually got my back to, to producer Trent. Uh, I'm looking at our guests, so I have a good view. Well, we do have, we have some great guests and we're going to introduce them in just a moment. But I want to ask you, Stephen, did you live at our house when, when I had exotic pets? No, I had already I had already left for college by the time you decided think, to um, go down yeah, that path. I think, I think that when you moved out, David moved into your room, and then that freed up space in my room where no one knew what I was up to scheming. Because back in the day, I could just jump on my bicycle and ride down to the pet store and buy whatever I wanted to without anybody's permission. Uh, because I did have a job at eleven, so I, I didn't have a car, but I had a job, so I would ride, take my money and ride down to the pet store and buy uh, anything I wanted to and bring them back home. And so, so I had what did they, you buy, yeah. Michael? So I had turtles and hermit crabs. Uh, we went with, uh, we had, there was some time when we had some gerbils and parakeets, a cockatiel, and a snake. But the snake is what ended my exotic pets at the house. Yeah, I ended so, I, I, the um, corn cob was the snake as a corn snake right. and a fantastic hunter. And I just remember, I remember you calling me and saying, Hey, I can't keep corn cob. Can you take him? And, and yeah, I, that's right. Cause he, <laughs> so corn cob, I think, uh, got out in your dorm, didn't he? Not in my dorm. Not in your dorm. Okay. No. For some got reason, out, I was thinking he, he got out in your dorm. room, Michael. If um, you're, he if got you out recall. in our house, but, the third, so the, after he escaped from his enclosure the second time, uh, parents said, hey, if that snake gets out in this house again, it's got to go. And so when he did escape for the third time, I never told anybody. <laughs> so I was sitting in our living room uh, watching television, and I heard, Michael! And I was like, oh, they found my snake. And it did. It always went back to our parents' bedroom. I think it was because it was quiet and dark back there. And, uh, so yeah, they found my dad found him in the closet, and that was when Corncob had to find a new home. Yeah, and so that he, was the end of my exotic pets at the house. Yeah, but he came and he came and lived with with me in the dorm against all regulations, and it was very very successful. He's actually incredibly popular. Everybody loved when I would feed him because oh, yeah. he was such a yeah. good hunter, and we could put in a live mouse, and he would burrow under. And you could you could tell you could watch the mouse could, completely. It was, like, it was like watching Tremors, right? The, yeah. the movie Tremors. The mouse yeah. had no clue, and then suddenly the, the corn cob I, would come out and and strike I and have, wrap. Yeah, 
I have a feeling our guests, I can't see their faces, but they're probably cringing at all of the animal husbandry violations that we've just, um, just shared with our audience today. But today's episode, if you haven't guessed, is all about exotic pets. And we have brought in uh, some experts, and we're really excited to have them, Dr. Nick Kirk and his veterinary technician, Devin. Welcome into the Family Pet Podcast. Hey, thanks. Hi. Dr. Kirk, you are a board-certified veterinarian in avian medicine. Is that correct? That's Did correct. That I'm, right? uh, I'm a okay. diplomat of the American Board of Veterinary Practitioners, uh, specifically avian medicine. Automatically, you know that if a guest is on the Family Pet Podcast, we've already vetted them. They're an expert. But Dr. Kirk, I just want you to explain a little bit to our listeners, what what does it mean when a veterinarian is boarded in something? So you're a board with avian specialty. What does that mean? Yeah, that's correct. So I went through uh, veterinary school, the normal four years, and then uh, I had postdoc training as well as a residency program uh, that I started over in Utah with my mentor, uh, Dr. Scott Eccles, who is also a board certified avian vet. Um, and then I had to get published and uh, took a test this past year to allow me into um, that uh, diplomat status um, with the special organization who kind of oversees whether or not you're um, qualified as a uh, species or group specific uh, veterinarian. So you can get everything from dogs and cats to bovine to horses to like I am avian uh, medicine. And is, is that a, um, would you say that that's a, a, a small fraternity of, of veterinarians there that, that have reached that extra credentialing? Yes. Um, I believe there's about 100 to 150 in the world. Um, the wow. first year that I qualified uh, to sit the exam, there were two of us that took it. And then this past year, there were seven within the world to, to try and sit this exam. I would have to, I would have to put that like a, like we need to need to have that like embroidered on your on your lab coat or your doctor's <laughs> coat, just like one of only 150 in the world. In the world. <laughs> Worldwide. In the world. What attracted you to to birds as a specialty? Yeah. Um, you know, early on in my life, I was very into avian um, research. I was part of the Audubon Society when I was a little uh, kid. I did uh, actually bird breeding here in Middle Tennessee when I was in late middle school, early high school. Um, I worked with Nashville Zoo for multiple years as an avian keeper. Um, during undergrad, I had to figure out, did I want to go into um, some sort of re research aspect and continue my career that way or uh, go towards vet school and try and help uh, from the medicine side? And now, fortunately, I get to, I get to do both um, after my, my board certification. It's really cool. And, and we had a chance to talk, and you, you've worked for the National Zoo and then these bird sanctuaries in Utah, uh, some really cool experiences. We've, we've got Devin here and I don't want to, uh, to miss out. So people understand, again, Michael says we, we vet our, our, vet our guests. So we're not bringing anybody on who's not knowledgeable, not experienced, but tell me about your experience with, um, birds and reptiles and exotics. Yeah, I, also have had a long passion in working with them um, from early on. And it started as an interest in the natural world. So seeing the wild animals, uh, snakes, turtles, birds, whatever. Um, <clears throat> I was fortunate enough to have a family that really fostered that. So I was able to um, 
get out and explore and learn things that a lot of other people didn't at that age. And by the time I was late teens, I was already headed towards vet med. So in my early 20s, that is when I decided to make the jump and I went to vet tech school. I have since started working with wildlife also. So I, cats and dogs are fun and I have lots of practice with them. I've spent 20 years in the industry and I started just as things developed in especially Tennessee, um, I came back from a place, I was in Colorado, where there was a lot of working with exotic animals and it was just regular practice for them. So there wasn't a whole lot of that going on here, but then as Nashville has developed and Tennessee has grown, people from surrounding areas have come in and brought these animals with them and the need was there, so I wanted to follow it. So fantastic. Michael, you know, you you had an idea about questions for migratory avian services. How does that help clients? Uh, Michael, toss it to you. I guess I'll just ask Dr. Kirk, now, at this point in your career, now you've, you're back in Tennessee and you have started your own practice. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and, and how, that, uh, how that model works with what you're doing with uh, migratory avian services. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Devin and I have started a clinic where as opposed to setting up one uh, single storefront, we are offering clinics that don't usually see exotic animals, whether it be you know, birds where my specialty lies, or if we're doing reptiles or even small mammals for clinics that don't offer that. Around the, you know, metropolitan Nashville, greater Middle Tennessee area, we're trying to go ahead and offer services where they aren't currently being provided. Um, within the Middle Tennessee area, there is not another avian board certified specialist. Um, so that's definitely a very specific uh, service that we can offer. But, you know, we're trying to get in, um, just like we are with your clinic, to, um, to offer folks in the area who may not know about, you know, specific exotic veterinary care versus where they may have just been getting veterinarians who are trying to offer good care, but not quite the specialist level for, for the specific patients that they're, they're currently not seeing. You just mentioned that a lot of veterinarians... Um, aren't familiar with exotic pets. Why, why is that? I mean, don't you all go to vet school? So why do they feel like they, they're not experienced with exotic pet? What makes exotic pets so much different? Yeah, that's a really great question. So the first kind of low hanging fruit as far as answering that question is the anatomy. So the way that a bird is built or say a bearded dragon or a snake is much different than say a dog or a cat. Um, and when we go to vet school, you know, the classic joke is real doctors treat more than one species um, between the veterinary world and the human MD world. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the simple truth is to give the most care for the most uh, animals that we can, vet schools have to decide what their curriculum is going to be to make the best well, uh, excuse me, well-rounded student. Um, and one of those things is, you know, the small man, uh, small animal versus large animal, where when you talk about large animals, you talk about horses or agriculture, you know, cows or goats and sheep, things like that. Um, so that's one whole side, which uh, exotic animals don't really even fall under. But then you get into the small animal side where dogs and cats are the, you know, highest percentage of what they're going to be seeing. You start talking about zoo vets, which are going to be running collections, kind of uh, what I've been doing in Utah. 
um, but just for birds. Um, but those folks are seeing everything from rhinos and elephants to different hoofstock. Um, they're going to try and be in control over like meerkats and all sorts of other mammals, as well as dealing with things like aquariums or um, collections of bats or even other reptiles um, for these collections for American Zoological Association accredited facilities. So like the National Zoo is a great example of something that those kinds of vets would be able to um, offer services for. But then you start getting into the, um, the more specialized things. So uh, when I say that I specialize in birds specifically, I could do everything from working with an emu farm or your backyard chickens or even, you know, seeing parrots or um, things like I work with a couple of racing uh, pigeon quarantine facilities. Um, so we start to get more and more specialized as far as those species are concerned. And what I worry about for a sick parrot is very different than what I'd worry about for your sick chicken. And mm -hmm. it simply comes with the time, the expertise and the mentorship um, to be able to handle those sorts of cases when, you know, that's a very different mindset than if your dog is vomiting or your cat has diarrhea or something like that. Right. So let's go back to where we started this show with my story of being a, an 11 to 16 year old, just driving my, riding my bike to the pet store and coming home with a, a just any number of pets. Um, now I don't think kids can do that. I think you have to be 18 to buy animals at the pet store for good reason. But uh, as our listeners, if they're considering getting or adding an exotic pet to their family and they were to ask you, Dr. Kirk, what should we know before we, before we make this purchase? What would, what would be the first maybe two or three things you would tell them? Well, the first thing that I'd ask them is how long and how committed to you are you to this animal? How much research have you research have you done in the ones you're interested in? And, you know, what kind of companion are you looking for? Are you looking for something that's going to be a couple of years old or are you going to be looking for a lifelong companion? I mean, I got my Amazon parrot when I was a sophomore in high school and I don't expect him to be going away in the next, you know, 30 years. You know, that's a lifelong companion as opposed to, you know, something like a reptile. And and also consider the rest of the family. So your family didn't just love having a snake there. So, you know, is it something that is going to be successful long-term on all accounts or maybe like Dr. Kirk's bird that um, we, everybody adores, Billy, yep. he probably had to spend some time at home after Dr. Kirk left. So are you going to get an animal like a reptile, a turtle that's going to live for 40 years and you're going to go to college and somebody's going to need to take care of it while you're gone, things like that. So because you're not, you're not supposed to have reptiles yeah, in the dorm. I don't think they want that. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so. I especially don't want, Michael, the snake that I had that did get out was the ball python. That's, oh, that's right. I that's, knew there was something that got out. Yeah. That's what they don't want. We didn't have mice in our dorm. but we, <laughs> <laughs> So, Devin, you brought up a good point is thinking about, so not only what are you committed to, but what about the family? Mm -hmm. um, what are some other things that you would tell people that are considering an exotic pet? adding an exotic pet to their, to their home. I think another really good um, aspect of general husbandry is the amount of space you're willing to dedicate to this animal. Um, a lot of the times people think that, you know, either a budgie, so a, a parakeet 
is what we call them in America, um, or a cockatiel or something like that can just live in a cage. But realistically, these birds need room to fly. If you're looking at getting a bigger bird, they need to have almost a room dedicated to them, these, these larger species. And when we talk about space, we talk about um, the destructive nature of these birds. I mean, I don't know if y'all have ever tried to crack a Brazil nut with your hand, not like a nutcracker or something like that, but they're impossibly tough. Macaws um, make jokes out of those nuts, um, crack them with their beaks without even trying. Um, and even looking at things like Amazons or cockatoos, those larger parrots, they can easily destroy drywall or furniture or things like that. And I'm not saying they're not great companions, but it is something to consider with yourself and your family, especially um, with smaller children who need to be habituated to the bird as much as the bird needs to learn about them so that someone doesn't get hurt on either side. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come into the clinic and I'll have a bird restrained to do physical exam or blood draw or something like that. And then the owner decides, oh, I want to pet its head while it's getting restrained. And then they get a bad bite because the bird is under stress and they're not at home in the normal situation. So all of those things are, you know, major, not concerns, but things that you need to be thinking about if you're looking at getting an exotic pet uh, for yourself, your child, or your family. When we, you have mentioned several times now the length of time for some of these animals. We, we've had dog and cat episodes where the oldest cat was, was it 32, Michael? I don't remember exactly the, the, it was crazy long, but the average cat you're looking at 16 to 20 years, a small dog, 12 to 15 or 16 years, and a large dog might might be around 10, 7 mm-hmm. to 10 for the large, large breed. What? So if we're talking birds and reptiles, so I'm thinking reptiles, snakes, and then maybe iguanas or bearded dragons, what are the lengths of their ages are we looking at? So a lot of that, and I'll let Devin kind of get into the husbandry aspect, but a lot of that comes to how well we take care of those animals. So it also depends on the species. So a, a tree anole is not going to have the long... A, a what? A tree anole, a, a very small green arborean lizard. Okay, there we go. <laughs> a small green lizard. All yeah. right, there we go. Okay. A boreal Stephen means that it lives in a tree. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. That's all I got. <laughs> um, versus maybe your bearded dragon or an iguana. So it you have to consider your species, and you need to also be familiar with um, where they have come from and what that natural environment is. So you don't want to provide improper heat or moisture. Um, you need to be really aware of what their substrates are and how to enrich them and keep it as close to what their what natural, is natural yeah. for them from where they originally started before they were starting to be in um, a part of companion pet ownership. There's a lot to that. <laughs> so, not as simple as a, yeah. a yes or no. But yeah, it's not just putting a, a lizard in an aquarium anymore. Like we, we know so much more now. So preparing for that and um, with the, the husband, well, let me back up. Caring for the animal is caring for their home because while you're taking them out and you're interacting with them and engaging them, they're spending the majority of their time there. So it's really important that you have the time to dedicate to getting that right. 
And it's not just the physical act of doing it, it's researching, staying ahead of things. So preventive care is really important. These animals need to have doctor visits just like the rest of us, even when they, when they do feel well. So it's not about just being sick. And a lot of the preventative care is just in the nutrition and husbandry. So having a doctor assess them is a good plan to make sure that nothing has been overlooked. Also so that you have that relationship when you do have a problem. You've mentioned research there, and mm-hmm. I have two research-directed questions for you two, and I'll let you all decide how to do this. Uh, my first research question is, if someone is thinking about adding a new species to their family, or maybe they were given an animal and they don't know a lot about it, where do they find good information amongst all the information that's out there? And number two, when they're researching uh, to find a veterinarian to which to take their pet, how do, what questions should they ask to find out if the vet that, like, what inter, what questions should they ask the vet before they take their pet there? Those are my two research questions for you. Okay. You definitely don't want to just jump down the Google wormhole, but I would turn to good resources like the um, American Association of Reptile Veterinarians. That is a great starting point. Also checking with whatever respective species that you're wanting to include in your family, I would see what other organizations are dedicated to them respectively. And that way you can find much more in depth on um, what your companion is for their needs. Making contact with a veterinarian that works with those animals is gonna be a good reputable source. The places where a lot of these animals come from will come with some very baseline information in some instances, but I would um, definitely make sure that you're checking with somebody that has some sort of academic accreditation. Kind of piggybacking off of what Devin said, there are quite a few organizations that have done a really good job with um, uh, providing information. One one company that is a, a commercial company but provides really great articles to their owners and also some resources for vets um, is going to be uh, lafeber.com. Um, they, L-A-F-E-B-E-R. Um, and uh, Stephen was like, no, I can't. I can't get that one. <laughs> um, anyway, um, as far as, uh, you know, other, other resources, um, we do... Uh, caution people to kind of do more in-depth research, um, including reading. There are a lot of of those for dummies books. Um, there's a birds for dummies book that's actually written by um, a previous mentor of mine that does a really, really good job um, kind of explaining basic bird care before you start to get too deep. Um, but again, like Devin was saying, going to an actual um, academically trained source is going to be the best, the best version of getting your information. So um, as far as trying to find a veterinarian, going to those specific, um, those species specific groups, like um, Devin mentioned ARAV, but um, which is the uh, American Reptile and Amphibian uh, Veterinarians. Um, And then the other one uh, that you'd be more likely to find me on is AAV. So the Association of Avian Veterinarians. Um, both of those uh, resources are really, really good. Um, and then obviously finding, you know, podcasts like y'all's where you're actually bringing in folks that uh, have a little bit more insight into it as opposed to just going to the store and saying, that bird's cute, you know, let's see what the, you know, high school or co- college level associate has to say about its care. 
All right, so we're gonna we're gonna say these again, and then I'm putting the links in the show notes. I have the Association of Avian Veterinarians dot org or yes. AAV dot org, and then I have the Association of Reptile and Amphibian Veterinarians ARAV dot org. So those are our those are our two exotic Absolutely. organizations, and and um, so those veterinarians that are listed there have special credentials, special training or so, recognized? Um, any veterinarian can join. Like I have more, I have relationships with both those organizations, but specifically birds on my side. Um, so AAV, I've been a member since I was a vet student. So um, if you're a technician or a veterinary student or a veterinarian who has interest in it, you can join. But obviously um, the folks who are speaking at conferences, um, like me and my colleagues do, we're, we're specialists. Got you. Excellent. Well, thank you both for joining us on uh, for this episode of the Family Pet Podcast. I think it was a great episode for as an introduction. Would you both be willing to come back and join us for more specific uh, episodes in the future? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. I've, I've already got a few in mind, so mm-hmm. we'll talk. We'll talk more about that and see if we can have you guys come back and provide some more great uh, content for our curious pet parents out there. We are now ready for that part of our show which is our fun fact. So this is the part where our guests share with our audience a fun fact that would help them win trivia night at the local pub or impress, impress their friends and family at family dinner. So do you all have a fun fact that you could share? It doesn't have to relate to exotic pets, but I think it's probably like, this is a softball question for you here. Uh, but um, do you have a fun fact that could make our curious pet parents even smarter? Yes, and I actually have seen this question um, at Pub Trivia. Um, All right, so, let's go. <laughs> so, um, you know, birds are regarded as incredibly intelligent, um, but their brains are very different than human brains. Um, so I've seen it asked a couple of ways, but the main one is bird brains are very smooth versus when you think of a human brain, it's got a ton of folds in it, the, you know, the foci and the soci. But the reason avian brains are smooth and they're so intelligent is because they have a vast greater density of neurons so you know brain cells within the brain that have more connections as opposed to relying on those um those gyra and sulci to create the connections between the the human or the mammal uh nerve cells neurons so being called a bird brain is not a bad thing it's not an insult no (laughs) there we go (laughs) awesome well, I did not know that bird brains were smooth. So there we go. I've learned something. I, I, I learn a lot on these podcasts. So thanks, uh, thanks for sharing that. Well, we hope that you all have all enjoyed this episode of the Family Pet Podcast. Um, and we hope that you'll tune in again next year. We're in season two. I can't believe it. We hope that your 2023 is off to a great start. And until next time, stay curious. The Family Pet is a podcast for curious pet parents, where we believe that the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. The Family Pet is a production of Family Pet Health, PLLC, and recorded in the studios of Spread the Positive Productions in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The statements made as a part of this show should not be taken as an establishment of any form of a veterinary-client-patient relationship. All comments are for entertainment and educational purposes only. 
You should reach out to your local veterinary partner before taking any action on the things that you've heard here today. We hope that you will share this podcast with a friend, and it would mean so much to us if you would take a moment to leave a review wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Show notes, links, and videos to accompany today's show can be found at thefamilypetpodcast.com.